Welcome to the South Mims U podcast and the Queen Mary 2, the world's most famous ocean liner and a cruise ship that exemplifies the classic idea of the ocean cruise. It's elegant, old-fashioned, luxurious and very British. It's also the place where one of our professors is doing some field work. She's an anthropologist and she's studying cruises, people on cruises, the social structure of cruises and the philosophy of cruises. Her name is Avril Pritchard and she's an expert in the anthropology of tourism. We're sitting in her cabin here on this Cunard ship and uh, if I may say so Avril, these are extremely nice surroundings in which to do field work. Well, it's an ordinary cabin. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> it's uh, spacious and, and, and you have a, a balcony, I can see out there, and uh, uh, from which there's the rather grey but splendid and very choppy uh, North Sea. Um, yes, it's, it is very rough out there, isn't it? Are you feeling <clears throat> queasy? Uh, um, uh, somewhat. Somewhat queasy or actually sick? Um, well, uh, I'm sorry, but <coughs> actually, actually, just, just, oh. just give me a moment. Oh, just oh. Give me a moment. oh dear. Oh, oh dear. So, uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, so, uh, the sea, it's uh, certainly majestic in this mood. Are you all right? Um, yes, yes, I'm, I'm sorry. We can okay. ca continue, don't uh, worry. Uh, yes, okay. yes. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it has immense power, and that's why I insist on a view of the sea at all times. It's endlessly fascinating. But, um, Avril, you're here to observe the people on the ship, isn't that right? It is, though their interaction with the sea and the effect it has on them is also part of my work. I know this might sound a, a little flippant. Oh, please, be as flippant as you want uh, to but, be. But this is, well, an incredibly attractive gig, if I may say so. Gig? Well, assignment. Uh, most of your colleagues are back in dreary South Mims working in faceless offices. Well, not all of them. Some of my colleagues are also conducting field work out in the, uh, field. On cruise ships? No. One of them is in Namibia, another is in Mongolia, and Tracy is in Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe? Anthropologists don't just go to remote places to work with cultures different from their own, you know. They also focus on the cultures in which they live and work. In fact, the culture you might not really understand is your own. You're too close to it. So, by applying your anthropological training to what's closest to you can be very revealing. Right, I, I get that, but uh, doing fieldwork on an elegant and expensive cruise ship like this is, uh, well, <laughs> sorry, it's a great gig. Okay, I'll admit it is, but I do spend most of my time working. Right, well, I'll take your word for it. One of the pioneers of modern anthropology, Bronislaw Malinowski, taught that being an armchair anthropologist wasn't good enough. You had to go into the field and live amongst the people you wanted to study. Spend a year or, if possible, two, living as they do and engaging in their social customs and rituals. So are you going to spend a year or two on this ship? I've been on the Queen Mary 2 for six months. Well, that's amazing. Well, someone has to do it. You still look a little green. Perhaps a quick walk on the promenade deck may help? Uh, might it? Yeah, let, let's try that. Oh, it's just there. Look at the horizon! Look at the yes. horizon! Oh, right. yes. There yes. we are! Look at the horizon! And 
yes, no, you're right, you're yeah, right. Do you just feel better? I do, I do. It's, it's actually very calming, the horizon. Yeah, Even though it's looking, very yeah. windy and it's still quite choppy. No, don't think about that. No, just right. No, it's windy. nice. Yes, yeah, You're right. I feel much better. Okay, we're back in the cabin and I really do feel better. So, you need to be on the ship. Isn't there a fundamental problem with that though? In what sense? Well, the people on this cruise ship are constantly changing. You get people doing four or seven night cruises and some do two weeks, even three. The world cruise is over three months. But that's not really a society, is it? They're, they're not a cohesive group of people. I mean, a true society. And that's what is fascinating about a cruise ship and cruising in general. Well, how so? What I'm studying is the phenomenology of cruising. The way different groups of people pass through this ship and create a constant sense of something that's totally distinct from what you might find on land. So it's the fact of being at sea that counts? It is. Something happens to people, well to most people, when they embark from a port and travel out to sea. It's a very special world, a unique transitional space that's both actual, being at sea, and imaginary, the sense of moving into a different state of being. Well that sounds very abstract, doesn't it? Being at sea is abstract. Even though you're standing on a massive structure of iron and steel and wood, you're not grounded. You're in motion always between one place and another. And when you're in port, you're there so temporarily that you feel as if you're outside of national boundaries. You're always in between and about to leave or about to arrive. And this has an effect on the social structure of the ship itself? It does. You have two distinct groups of people, two societies living together in parallel, the passengers and the crew. Do you study the crew? Uh, no. One of my colleagues specialises in that side of the equation. I focus on the guests. But as I said before, the guests are here for a short time. Uh, what anthropological insights can you get from such fleeting social encounters? The sense of spectacle that helps people disconnect from their everyday lives at home. Right, like you said, it's more of a phenomenology. It's a very difficult word to say, isn't no, it? That's a big word I yes, don't really like. Let's not use it. <laughs> what happens to people as they board a ship is that they enter a different world. In one way, it's a closed world. They're on a ship which is at sea. There's nowhere else to go but the ship. But it's also a new world, a complete world, which provides them with all they need and they can indulge in a social spectacle that is quite different from anything they can experience on land. You mean the dressing up in formal gowns and tuxedos for the, for the gala nights? Yes, that's exactly it. One writer called it transformative glamour and escapist fantasy. She stressed that the key idea of a cruise is its spectacle. The ship, the crew, the people all dressed up, Memories of movies set on board classic ocean liners. And of course, there's the sea itself. There's just something immense about the sea once you're totally surrounded by it. The rigid, cruelly uniform horizon that never goes away. Well, it's, again, it sounds like you just love being at sea. Oh, I do. But that's not the point. Let's go for another walk around the promenade deck and you'll see what I mean. OK, yeah. 
We're moving, but the horizon challenges our sense of movement, uh, and that makes us reflect on just where we are in our lives and what our place in the world is. That, that sounds uh, more like philosophy than anthropology. Well, perhaps it is, but what's happening here is that many of the guests are playing out a fantasy based on the classic images of the ocean liner, upper-class travellers moving from one resort to another. But the ship is classless in the sense that as long as you can afford it, anyone can be aboard this ship. But you get to play a role in a drama of class and leisure. So the experience itself isn't real. Oh, it is real, but it's refreshingly unreal too. A different world and, and a new story for each individual. That's what the sea does to you. It challenges your sense of perspective. Yes, and the wind is quite also biting. Well, shall we go back inside? Yes, better, yes. So isn't what you're studying really adults at play, Avril? Yes, this whole ship is, in a sense, a playroom. I mean that in the best sense of the word. It is, after all, a place where people come to relax and seek leisure, as well as see different parts of the world. But they're playing roles. They are, even if they're doing it unconsciously. And that play-acting is relaxing. It's, as I said, transformative. The American writer F. Scott Fitzgerald put it well. This is how he described boarding a ship to sail from New York to Europe. On the long-roofed steamship piers, one is in a country that is no longer here and not yet there. The future is the glowing mouth in the side of the ship. Up the gangplank and the vision of the world itself narrows. One is a citizen of a commonwealth smaller than Andorra, no longer sure of anything. Next, the loud, mournful whistles, the portentous vibration and the boat. The human idea is in motion. So it's a world in motion, but one that's not quite real. Even time is out of kilter, because time is set by the ship. Ship time. And that could even be different to the time on land. And people find that relaxing, right? Very relaxing. It's what cruising is all about. <laughs> I thought it was about partying and eating too much and buying tatty souvenirs in different ports. OK, there are some cruises like that, but I don't think that the die-hard cruisers are attracted by that alone. Which is why you're on this ship, the Queen Mary 2. I'll admit there are elements of that clichéd cruise you just alluded to, but there's something more fundamental going on for those who crave to cruise, who live to cruise. OK, so that is the community you're studying, right? In a sense, it is. Though, again, I'm interested in all the people on a cruise ship. I recently read the diaries of a young woman called Cora Dubois, who travelled in a ship from America to Europe in 1928. She was just beginning to study anthropology, which at the time was a discipline that was still in its developing stages. It was still all about what were then called primitive cultures. She was one of the first to try and do fieldwork amongst her peers. She described what she called the curious transitional space of mid-ocean, away from home and far out at sea. That allowed them to throw off the social constraints they experienced at home and, as she put it, 
break the rules of proper deportment to indulge in legalised licence. She likened it to how some societies create spaces and times so people can, well, let their hair down. Isn't that just play acting, though? It is, and perhaps there's nothing wrong with that. You can be who you want to be on a cruise ship, within reason. One humorist from the 1920s wrote that at sea you can be as rich as you say you are. You can tell so many fibs on the ocean that one more or less can make no difference. And the ship vibrates quite a lot, I notice. That's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing no, wrong. no, no, it's the engines and the general oh, movement. Oh, right, the, I was yes, getting a bit worried. No, then. no, it's okay. Not. Seriously. So, is that what you do? Do you do what that quote says? What do you mean? Well, tell little lies. Only necessary lies. Necessary lies? About why I'm on board. You don't tell people you're an anthropologist, then? No. If I were living with a fixed group of people, of course I would have to. But as this is a transient population, I just blend in as a guest. A woman on her own? Indeed, a woman on her own. <laughs> like Charlotte Vale in Now Voyager? Nothing like Charlotte Vale in Now Voyager. Uh, for those of our listeners who don't get that reference, Now Voyager is a classic romantic movie made in 1942, starring Betty Davis, Paul Heinrich and Claude Rains. Davis plays a put-upon spinster daughter who blossoms when she's advised to go on a cruise by a kindly psychiatrist. I hope you're not implying that I'm a put-upon oh, spinster. Not at all, not at all, Ethel. <laughs> Don't worry, I know you're not. But that movie and other movies are also all part of the romance of cruising. Again, movies like that, and especially James Cameron's epic version of the Titanic story, play into this unreal world aboard ship. You know, I am starting to get a real sense of what you're talking about. I mean, just walking around the ship, you get a real feeling of this, this constantly moving but effortless, calm atmosphere that's, well, just totally cut off from ordinary life. And when you're dressed up at night for the gala evenings, that sense is heightened. It becomes at once hyper-real and comfortably real. Is that an academic conclusion, or are you just being an enthusiastic cruiser yourself? I've become both, an academic and a cruiser. So you've been subsumed into the society that you're meant to be studying? It's something that anthropologists do have to guard against. And you have succumbed? I think I have, yes. But your observations are still valid, right? Well, I hope so. It's just that I don't want to get off. But you will have to at some point. I mean, this whole thing must be costing the university a fortune. Well, I, I know, I know. I mean, the budget isn't um, a Titanic one. No, it's not. You've mentioned that 1997 movie now. So um, how does that particular story affect people's perception of what travelling on an ocean liner like this is actually like? Well, it enhances it, which is strange, given the inevitable end of any Titanic story. The iceberg, the women and children first, and all that stuff. Yes, though much of the real story is lost in the myths around the event. It's actually a draw for people. On this ship, the only true ocean liner still crossing the Atlantic on a regular basis, they even have a map that shows you exactly where the Titanic went down. It completely fascinates the passengers. And do they all go and try and do their famous Kate Winslet and Leo DiCaprio thing on the prow with that song, whatever it was? My heart will go on. And that, that's the one. No, you can't get to the prow. Many ships don't let people do it. Health and safety. Although, it's strange. At the time the movie was released, cruise bookings spiked. 
Some analysts say it turned around the cruise industry, transforming its image from something that is for old middle class or rich people into something that younger generations can choose to do. Again, though, it's a story, an unreal world of myth and make-believe. I know that as an anthropologist I shouldn't say this, but, well, damn it, what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I've gone native, and I don't care what the university says, I'm staying at sea. Well, I don't blame you. I mean, you can write your papers here and send them back using the Wi-Fi and, well, just keep sailing and sailing. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. You're doing important work, Avril, and I think it's actually time we dress for dinner, isn't it? Uh, yes. I'll meet you in the bar for a pre-dinner drink. Well, until then... Oh, sorry. And, dear listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I'm sure you'll never see cruising in the same light again. Thank you for listening, and please check out the wide range of other subjects we tackle at South Mims. Goodbye. I think a whiskey sir and the Commodore bar is in order, don't you? Oh, definitely.